Big Lens Fast Shutter is brought to you by people like me. Thanks, me. So why don't you join us and go to patreon.com slash BLSF because they're here to make you a better sports photographer. Coming up, Clemson versus Alabama versus SI, assignment desk, snow masterclass. We want you to get closer and closer cues, equipment stuff. And we end with Vladimir Reese. Episode 61 is next. You cannot be serious! That ball was on the line! Konnichiwa, this is you, Vocal. Shalom, this is Matt Cohen. Welcome to Big Lens Fast Shutter, where we demystify the world of sports photography. And if you have forgotten, and I know you haven't, it is never too late to send a couple of bucks our way. Since this is a 100% user-funded audiovisual entertainment, please go to patreon.com slash B-L-F-S. That is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com B-L-F-S. And show us how much you love us because we are here to make you a better sports photographer. News. Here are news. Both Ryu and I will tell you our best and worst shoot of the previous month. And we talk about ourselves because we like to. News. So the best and worst of shoot. Best and worst of uh, December 2016. If you remember anything, Matt Cohen. Uh, I can't remember December, but I've just been shooting hockey. It's good. I really do enjoy shooting hockey. My worst shoot was when I didn't get to shoot because (laughs) I didn't check the calendar. And it was the Sharks had a game on a holiday, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And Mm. I, (laughs) I drove all the way to San Jose and got there after the game was over. Really? Why? Yeah. All Sharks games start at 7 or 7.30. Uh Uh-huh. you know, I got there at five and what, the, like, because what? it was a holiday, they had the game earlier and oh. I just absolutely 100% missed it. Not my finest moment. The shoot, the worst shoot being a non-shoot. It's actually happened to me before. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was definitely my fault because, you know, the... Oh, yeah, it's totally your fault. Yeah. You can't the, do it on the holiday. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, before, usually the day before I go to shoot, I download the rosters and enter them into my code replacements and um, and then, you know, double check whatever the time is. I mean, I do this all the time, but I've never shot a Sharks game that wasn't at 7 or 7.30 in all the years that I've been doing it. And I just did not look and it was so stupid. You know, rush hour traffic both ways. So brutal. My worst, my best, I don't think I actually had one. I, I, I had to go to Japan for a shoot for Adidas. I don't know if I can actually say anything about it. I didn't actually get a gag order either. Maybe I can't say it. I did a baseball shoot for Adidas in Japan. So they called me up and they told me to come to Japan, which is a bit crazy. So I went there and I didn't went there for like a couple of days and I just came back. That was really quite interesting because I never actually like shot baseball as a job. Because I'd done all the, the Dominican, you know, the Dominican, but the Caribbean baseball stuff for the project that we've been doing, but not actually for like a commercial shoot. So it's quite interesting to do that. The worst, I'm having a bit of a, thought 
on figure skating because I shot the Grand Prix final um, in December and I'm kind of like not that interested in it anymore. Like in a way, like I'm kind of losing interest because it's it's so like, I don't know, like what the point is now. Like I've kind of like, I feel like I've done as much as I can. I'm probably saying that because I had really shit pictures after the whole thing. Like I didn't like really any of them. I came back and I was looking and thinking like, wow, this is really not good. Hopefully, maybe it will change because I'm going to go to the something final. The championship is like a world championship in Helsinki in Finland in March. So maybe I'll do that and I'll have a bit of another, another different point of view. But it really wasn't very, very good at all. And yeah, so... I don't know, maybe just getting bored of it. I don't know, we'll, we'll see what happens. So that was our, you know, not so interesting, um, best and the worst of the previous month. And we'll go down to um, other stuff that'll be much more interesting than uh, what we've been talking about. So see you on the next section. We had a bit of a conversation about the Sports Illustrated's cover after the national championship comes in v Alabama. That is American football. It's a big deal in America. Not big deal anywhere else, but in America, it's, it's a big deal. The, the biggest play of the entire game was a touchdown at the end of the game that really sealed the deal for uh, Clemson to win the game. We will put the link off this particular photo, the page, so you can have a look as well. It's a shit photo from what I've actually seen in the Flickr discussion page. It just, you know, we just kind of want to just talk about a little bit showing what really is sports photography in the context of the very, very important play or important, important moment. And we can also obviously like tie in with the whole Cubs, you know, fiasco as well. So Matt Cohen, your thoughts? I just don't, I don't think there's any arguing the fact that this is a trash photo. Lots of times pictures don't get chosen for covers specifically because of the layout. So you have some magazines are real particular about the name of the magazine. The name of the magazine has to fit. Other magazines will kind of do a cutout where if there's a great picture, they'll cut out part of the logo and drop the picture over top of it because you can basically understand which magazine it is. And if the picture is there to sell the magazine, which it should be, then they don't need you to see their whole name of the magazine. Other ones, they want that so that you need to leave room at the top. This is why sometimes cropping too tight, if you're working for a wire, if you're working for a newspaper or magazine is a problem because if you don't have enough room for them to drop text on, you have to know how they're going to use it. And if, if there's not enough room, they may not use it, even if it is the best picture. So this one kind of checks the box of there's plenty of room at the top because you don't need to see the upper two decks of the fans and the press box and everything so that they can have that ridiculous white champ stencil in there and then the Sports Illustrated. So there's lots of room up there for them to do that. Obviously, this is why or one of the reasons why they picked this picture. And then there's the end zone down at the bottom so that they could have Dabo's rules. Uh, that's awesome. For me, this is kind of like the World Series ending picture because this is by Simon Broody, who was formerly an SI staffer before they laid off all their staffers. And I guess they contract with him still. This is not going in his portfolio, right? This is not one of his better pictures. This is a legitimately great photographer who was just 
not in a great position for the, I guess, the game-winning play. SI sent him there, so SI gets all the pictures, and he doesn't have any say whatsoever what gets run in the magazine. He doesn't have any say what gets run on the cover at all. This sucks all the way around. It's not a good picture. Doesn't mean that he can't make great pictures because he has. But this was chosen by what's left of Sports Illustrated's editing staff after their massive layoffs. This is lazy. It's just lazy. There was lots of room at the top, so they didn't have to do anything creative with the layout. Just throw on the stupid champs and stencil, throw on the name of the magazine, put the shitty picture on there. You know, I don't even know what the point is because there's... Yeah, you got number four celebrating in the background, a couple of linemen or whatever, but they're not even doing anything great. The action's not great. It's not even straight. Look at where the guys are standing on the sideline. Like, it's not even straight. It's just sloppy. Like, they're not even using the rest of the room in the end zone to put more text on there. It's just, it just, all of this looks thrown on. It looks like somebody in 1997 working with uh, whatever the desktop publishing software of the day was. That's that's what this looks like to me. It's just absolute crap photo, crap layout. I, I don't know what it gets them. I, I cannot imagine. They probably had four photographers at the game. I can't imagine there wasn't better pictures to use. You're selling a magazine based on who won the national championship, which, yes, is a game, but also is the culmination of a long season. So whatever one moment if you didn't have a great picture of that one moment, there has to be a better picture during the game that would illustrate the fact that they won the national championship better than this. So I, I have no answer for this, but there is no defending this. Yeah, it's bad. It's just a really bad picture. What I really don't like is the fact that like a magazine, you know, as prestigious as Sports Illustrated is. But we have to, to we have to stop. We, we're not like people can cling to Sports Illustrated as what it was. We're not going to do that here. Sports Illustrated is a joke right now. And the more people get their heads around that and stop using it as, oh, one day I'll grow up and be a professional sports photographer and SI will feature my pictures. Mm. Uh, I've been there. I've done that. <laughs> I've had multiple pictures in Sports Illustrated. It's It's not what it used to be. It's not. You know, we need to be honest with the fact that this isn't where great sports photography happens anymore. So we're not going to hear of all places are not going to continue the, you know, the myth making of Sports no. Illustrated. It's not what it was. They they legitimately run out of focus pictures on their cover more than once a year. So we're not going to act as if this is the holy grail of sports photography. It's just not anymore. And it's very, very sad. And there will be more. But the thing is, like, what I really want to say is the fact that, like, you know, the prestige of Sports Illustrated and people look at it thinking, like, that's what you're supposed to be aiming for. If you're, you know, a beginner sports photographer or if you whatever, like, you you know, you started being having a professional career and you want to be, you know, the front, you want to be in a cover of a sports magazine, which basically is the only one left, really. And I don't want people to kind of aspire to it's very i think it's very misleading because like the quality isn't there and but people look at it and it really kind of goes for like the entire you know sports photography industry right now so it's it's really really shit right now the way you see on on a regular basis on espn or what have you it's like it's not very very good you know to be fair espn magazine runs great photography but for the most part it's photography that they commission it's portraits not the sports action they run is certainly a cut above what si runs right now i think that's 
owing to the fact that they have better editors right now, their sports photography is based around portraits first and foremost right now, or, or if not portraits, then staged photo shoots with the athletes that they're covering. Like that's that's what their competitive advantage is. And they're fantastic pictures in ESPN magazine regularly. That's not what SI is doing. SI is buying the cheapest pictures that they can get and then running whatever based on whoever happens to be editing at any given time. I mean, that used to be SI's competitive advantage is that they had a great staff of editors who were able to look over all of the pictures that SI has. It's like a fire hose, the access that they have to pictures. But the problem is that they laid off all the editors and now there's more pictures than there used to be and they have worse editors. So that's not a good combination. And that's that's what leads to this. It's not a matter of I got a picture in SI, that means no. it's a good picture. There may have been a time where that was the case, but that's not the case anymore. And you can be probably one of the five or 10 greatest sports photographers that are working right now, and it's not going to matter. And that's the case uh, with Simon Broody, who is. There's no defending this. I would, I don't know how you could even pose this to him without being disrespectful about it, but I would love to hear what he would have to say about this this of all pictures going on the cover like if it was me i would legitimately be cringing over the fact that this was chosen and 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 to have my name on it would be even worse well, that's a really bad thing isn't it the fact your name is going to be attached to that particular picture on the cover all right it's a bit of a rabbit hole because i can start going on about like japanese sports magazine as well i had a similar conversation with a lot of photographers about it We give you an assignment and you show us if you've been listening. Don't doze off and show us that you've been an attentive student or a bad one, by the way. So there's only been two entries, which means that I think it might have gotten lost in the whole thing. Like, because you've been out for a while and people just didn't really do anything. There's two pictures. And they're both not that interesting. Reed's one is really not good. Michael's if there are like things happening on this particular like image with the snowstorm because snowstorm is really beautiful on a football pitch I've seen it before and it's absolutely fantastic it would have been interesting but like it's been taken kind of in a wide shot wide angle thing and but nothing's happening so have there been like something really crazy happening on this particular image action wise and you had the snowstorm I think would have been fine but it really is always just because it's raining just because it's you know snowstorm whatever the environment is interesting doesn't necessarily mean it's a good picture because the sports in it has to be compelling doesn't maybe have to be like super super interesting but has to be compelling to you know draw um, people into it because otherwise it's one of those you know shot that you see on mountains where you have the skier just no more just bombing down you just see a speck of that and that's that's it so it's just basically a, a, a you know it's a landscape photography and you don't want to really do that you want to make sure there's something interesting going on and that's it so we're going to go right into master class because that's the only thing we can really talk about at this point In Masterclass, we pick a topic in sports photography and we serve it on a plate to your ears. You got something to say? Tell us at BigLensFastShutter.com. Matt and I just talked about it yesterday, two days ago, 
we were recording training ground and we decided we're going to do it on close-ups so close-ups of I said faces but Matt said everything else as well so that means faces and everything else so we want you to shoot close-ups of an athlete or even equipment let's don't maybe should we exclude equipment somebody that interesting no equipment it has to be an athlete Equipment that's being used, being used. Like equipment that's being used. Or, yeah. Not, I don't want a football no. helmet no. sitting on a ground or, you know, be in use. a golf ball in a sand trap no. or something. Yeah. So that's be, be, has to be used. That's be a close up. So I don't mind. Like if you have a, you know, really good portrait, literally like during a game, game time portrait of a player, that's absolutely fine as well. I totally don't mind. My stuff, I want to see more of those. I want to see, like, it could be a, a silhouette. It could be anything, but it has to be a human being's face. That would be really, really great. It needs to be more than just body or head or something. Like, there needs to be grain of the skin or the, you know, the way the hair is laying or something like that. Like, there needs to be another level besides the shape. Yeah, that's, make it interesting. You know, that's that's what we're talking about. Like, texture and angles and like it needs to be close like very close and the challenge is get close but don't lose all the context of what you're trying to show a time where you can get too close and you can't tell like we've had people put stuff in training ground where it was a super close-up and there were lots of details in it but you couldn't tell at all what was going on like that's not what we're talking about still has to be context but there has to be details also and i can tell you what kind of prompted this was I was you know trying to come up with my top 10 for last year and I was looking back and I tried to I tried to get more detailed pictures I didn't get quite as many as I would have liked but I I tried really hard and I got a lot of ones that I did like just not enough those pictures will set you apart like if everybody's out there trying to get the action and the furthest that somebody's going to stray from that is a celebration picture or something like that it's easy to go deeper than that and get something that other people don't have like even if it's somebody sliding into a base and you were so tight that you got the individual grains of sand coming up somebody throwing their bat down and you could see the splinters coming out of the bat like it's not enough just to show that the bat was broken i want to see the actual splinters from the bat so that should give you like kind of a hint as to what we're talking about so that is assignment desk plus master class Did we make a difference in your life? Go to patreon.com slash BLFS and pledge for us or to us or towards us. Um, it's as low as $10 a month, which probably is Netflix. It might be even less than Netflix. It'll probably be a lot more beneficial than Netflix. Not that I'm not recycling Netflix. It's a good thing, Netflix, you know? Because this is really a, a show that is, you know, built upon your contribution in terms of pictures as well as your money because the more money we have the more motivated we are because we are professional we're not like you know doing it just for absolute just fabulous fantastic fun every single time we record this because there are times that i don't want to record or matt doesn't want to record or matt's dying or matt's dying a couple of times it really is um it's it's it, we put a lot of effort and time into it because we want to make sure that what you were producing is top notch and what you guys are getting are top notch and for that we do believe that we deserve a bit of money for it because you know nothing in the world is free even love it's just not a you know you need to pay something for it 
So go to patreon.com slash BOFS. That is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash B-L-F-S. If you're listening to this on iTunes, thank Apple. Actually, don't thank Apple. And then rate us. The higher we are rated, the more popular we are. And one day, we might be featured as the top sports photography podcast. Pledge. It's your favorite time of the podcast. Not, but it's uh, it's always interesting because we have questions from people who have been paying up uh, on patreon.com slash BOFS. If you want to ask us questions, you can put it on the um, Flickr.com group page. Just search for Big Lens Fast Shutter. You'll be able to actually go there on discussions. And there is a thread for each episode. And if you have been paying your dues on Patreon, you can ask us questions and you will get a professional answer most of the time so michael k is asking us my website analytics show that 80 percent of people view my photos on mobile devices that number continues to increase and is double what it was uh, four years ago i'm sure this trend affects many of us do you think sports photographers should change their approach to composition and editing knowing that in the vast majority of cases their work will be almost uh, will seen almost exclusively in a very small format it would seem important to adjust to your audience in the format of choice have either of you changed your approach or am i wildly overthinking this thanks um i think you're overly wildly crazy overthinking this i think that there these are two different issues this is do you adjust how you shoot versus do you adjust how you display your pictures it doesn't affect how i shoot at all because some of my pictures are on billboards i'm not going to shoot small for something that's going to end up being 40 feet wide or something so that doesn't really have anything to do with it at all i just i shoot appropriately to whatever is going on and whatever i'm trying to accomplish as far as display i do adjust like there are definitely pictures that i guess wouldn't work on instagram that may work on facebook or that would work on my website there are times when I have a different version of a picture that I would put on my website or on Facebook. And then I would edit it completely differently for Instagram because even the biggest phone is still pretty small. And if you have something that you're trying to show that depends on somebody getting a really good look at it. Yeah, I'm going to I'll probably crop it tighter or make it a whole different picture by cropping in on just one little part of it or something to show something that would have more of an impact on a small screen. I think that's definitely valid. Whereas if you want to have extra space around the object way it was shot two by three or something like that on, on your website or on Facebook, I think that's fine. So yeah, I think that, you know, you can definitely present your work in the different media how you want to. And I think that if you want to put a different crop on something because, you know, on a phone, if you have, you know, like Instagram, when they changed it up, it used to be you could only just post squares. And now you can, yeah, it was terrible. And people, you know, they put that padding around it or something. Now you can have portrait and landscape. And if you have like a picture that was originally shot in landscape, but it, you could crop it into a four by five vertical, that gets you a lot more impact 
because it takes up way more pixels on a, on Instagram, then yeah, I would absolutely do that. I think Instagram is a special case. I think that just how the, the way they present the pictures and it's not like you can zoom in on them or I guess you can now, but it's not quite the same as on a website or something. So I would definitely keep those things in mind, especially for Instagram, because it's basically only phone. I think the rest of them, like your portfolio site, I think it's important to have a portfolio site that has um, versioning for, you know, that, that automatically switches between mobile and desktop so that you can present things the way, you know, absolutely the way you want to. I think being in control of that is important. I agree. I mean, I've, like, I've had certain images that I thought about putting on Instagram. Just, yeah, it just doesn't work. And I signed out to yeah. because it didn't look good. Or I even actually then cropped it into the square format because I thought that looks I'm giving up a bit I felt like um, I don't I, I still liked how it was before so if the, if it was a portrait or if it was a landscape format um, it is like it's bigger kind of is better because if, if things are too small then you really can't see anything in my phone being the iPhone 6 it's on the smaller side of things and I look at it that as like a base thing and see whether or not it works or doesn't work so that's about it. Michael K asked us another question. The majority of my sports lens, long teles and a 7200 VR1 were purchased more than a decade ago. The dawn of the digital camera. They have all been well cared for and have never let me down. But I'm wondering, camera technology has improved so dramatically in the past decades. To what extent, if any, am I missing out on the full capability of the newer flagship cameras by using Ming Dynasty lenses. I am not satisfied with my pictures. Just wondering what am I missing out, if anything, and what point do you upgrade the lenses? It's uh, a very tricky question because I think people kind of... It is an interesting question, I, but I'm I'm stuck on the visual of Michael using a Ming Dynasty vase. As it doesn't even take pictures. Maybe it's like a pinhole camera type of thing, you know? <laughs> so anyway, like I answered on the thread, I saw that he had posted this and deleted and I wanted to answer it because I've actually quite a while I didn't upgrade anything uh cameras but I, I didn't upgrade any lenses at all due to lenses breaking and due to new other lenses coming out that I um had used while other lenses were in the shop I ended up upgrading quite a few lenses over the last year so last year I bought the new 85 1.4 i bought the 7200 vr2 and i bought the whatever the latest 300 all nikon obviously there's a huge difference whether or not it's right for you to upgrade is too complicated for anybody else to answer for you if you're not you know we've talked about how expensive lenses are and if you're a professional you can look at it like i've bought lenses for a shoot if i need to do something on a shoot and i'm making enough money and i don't want to rent something and you know have to worry about you know an old lens or you know something that somebody's banged around or something like that you can very very easily justify buying a new lens even if it's two grand or five grand or whatever based on one shoot if it's lucrative enough it's so different when you're talking to, to people who who don't do this for a living, in which case it would take them the whole rest of their life to make up the money from photography to cover even one seventy to two hundred, maybe if they're not really selling very much. It, it's really just impossible to to answer these questions for you. I can tell you that I used a VR one for a really long time, like ten years, eight years, something like that, and it was fine. 
I, you know, there, there was never a picture that I didn't make because I was shooting the VR one over the VR two just never happened. Like I, the lens never failed. I broke it many times. I took it in, they fixed it. I was out shooting again, but it's foolish to think that they're not making progress from generation to generation. They're, they are. The generations are further apart than the camera generations are probably twice as long. It, like I said, it's foolish to think that the 7200 VR2 isn't significantly better than the VR1. It absolutely is. Like the clarity of the lens, the flare control, the speed of the focusing, the weight, all of these things were dramatically better in the 70-200. Could you A-B test them side by side? Very probably not. But if you look at a hundred pictures taken with one and a hundred pictures taken with the other, you will definitely be able to tell the difference. And this goes for all of them. Like they're not a car company, right? They're not just pumping out the same version of the Honda Accord that they've done for Honda's done for five years previous. No, they're putting out a lens every five to seven or 10 years or something like that. And there's a lot of new technology that they put in, whether it's the nano coating, whether or not they figured out how to put in different shaped elements so that the flare is controlled, whether it's shaving a few ounces off that are going to make a long time if you're hand holding a lens for quite a while. All of these things end up mattering. Um, the 85 that I replaced was, uh, you know, probably a 20 year old design with a brand new design. So these things definitely matter. If money isn't an object or if you are a professional and can make it up based on the new lenses, then yeah, you're going to get better quality out of those. But is it better enough if you're not making money to do it? Probably not, especially if you're still getting pictures that you're happy with with your old gear. When those lenses break down, you know, do you want to put four or $500 into fixing an old lens or do you want to put that towards a new lens. That's why I upgraded to the VR2 because, you know, I really just didn't want to spend another four or $500 fixing the VR1 that was already 10 years old. So these are all things that go into it. But if, if the question is basically, are these new lenses significantly better than the old ones? They absolutely are. I've not done any upgrade in a while for the lens. I've actually added a lens that I bought 200 F2. I try to keep as much like you know up to date as possible with all the lenses because it's does matter but for instance like nikon came out with the uh the 24 2470 2.8 new one and i kind of read reviews on it and it didn't look like it was you know worth it to upgrade so i didn't upgrade 7200 i've been using the f4 for about a year and a half two years and it really works for what I want to do because I really hated the VR2 and it didn't really work for me at all. So I decided to get a lighter one because now I can one hand my, you know, 7200. And football pitches being very, very big, it doesn't really matter if, if it's, you know, the, the biggest aperture is F4 or 2.8. It doesn't make that much of a difference. And I've been very, very happy with it. Would I get the VR3, which is the latest, latest, latest one? It's like not really for that price because I don't really need it. I don't use a 7200 like that length that much either anymore. So I'm kind of, you know, it's either 400 or 200 or 1424 or 24 to 70. Like my gripe more actually has to do with like the fact that like Matt said, if you have the money, I think you should go and buy it knowing you're going to be using quite a lot of it. But if you don't, then, you know, I don't know, like rent one or something and see if it if it's that much better because it's a it's expensive, these professional grade lenses. 
if you're th thinking about upgrading like just not the versions but the actual like you know you got the i don't know 24 to 100 uh i don't know 24 to 400 lens like f6 or something like that one of those like that kit lenses yeah you should definitely definitely upgrade it to a smaller no bigger smaller aperture i mean sorry faster aperture lenses because that would be a lot better for sports photography but other than that it will really depend on your personal situation more than anything else so as we move on it's kevin sosa who i think he's really up the game with the hockey stuff these days like he's really really good yeah, yeah, he's I fantastic. I mean, I think I don't know what like what kind of crack that he's actually taking these days, but it's he's really, 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 really good. So if you've not seen any of his work, um, just uh, Google Kevin Sosa. It's Kevin and Sosa is S O U S A, and I mean he's been very, 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 very good. And for those who you know shoot a lot of hockey and things like that, look at his images, and that's kind of what you should aim for because he's really, really good now. What is the largest aperture you have used uh, during a sporting event? When it is a good time to use a large aperture of 2.0 or less, I recently purchased a Sigma 35 1.4, and I'm finding it a challenge to use. Any tips? I think you want to talk about the 85 first, and I can talk about. Yeah, I mean, I I try to I make it a point to shoot at 1.4 and 2.0. I have what 24 1.4 51.4 85 1.4 135 f2 so those are i don't think any of them are necessarily things that you would find sports photographers using regularly i take a combination of those everywhere i go and i try really hard to put myself into situations where those lenses make sense so obviously for the 24 it means getting pretty close to things for the 135 you can be a little bit further away and you still want to shoot things that have a background that is going to work with being mostly out of focus. I, I do it all the time. When's a good time? All the time. <laughs> when there are bad backgrounds, when there are great backgrounds that might look a little bit better blurred out than they would totally sharp. I go out of my way to use this. I mean, like the 84 1.5 or i'm sorry the 85 1.4 and the 135 f2 the 135 is old it's still the old screw drive up until very recently i was using the old screw drive 85 1.4 both of those even the new one even is is pretty slow to focus so you have to get used to that and you have to anticipate and you have to really know what the timing is of how long it's going to take to acquire focus and how long it's going to stay in focus because it's totally different than the afs lenses but i shoot action with those all the time it gives you a completely different look like there's only so much you can do with 70 to 200 and if you can get yourself in a position where either the 85, if you can get really close to it, or the 135 when you can't get quite as close, it's just going to give you a, a totally, totally different look than shooting at 2.8 or at f4. I think that it, it's basically an easy way to make your pictures look different. And if you can get good at it, it's, you know, you take the easy way of making your pictures look different with just having better pictures and it better mm. all the way around. Yeah, I bought the 202.0 and I've been using it like on mostly at two because it doesn't make any sense. Like, why did I buy this if I'm not going to use it at two? That might just like use the 7200 at 2.8. And I mean, yeah, 
if I'm going to use the 200 at 2.8. It's not easy. It's, you know, get to know the um, the lens better. See how it reacts to when you press the autofocus button, how long it takes for focus, and also the depth as well. It, it's very, very important because it's so paper thin. Like it's 1.4 and 1.8. It's, it's very difficult to do it. So make sure it's, it's properly focused. But if it's not, sometimes you get accidentally good pictures as well because of the fact that the, the depth of field is so narrow or whatever. Like it's very, very small, you know, so it looks really good. Nin Lei asks, switching to a different question, are there any do's and don'ts when approaching a team or a magazine for an assignment to cover an event? Certainly, I will send them in my portfolio, but are there any other things I should be aware of? If they already have a photographer covering the event in previous years, is it worth approaching them? How do they make a decision of hiring, photo qualities, cost, past relationships, other intangibles? Thanks. Magazine for an assignment. What it used to be is that, at least especially for magazines, what it used to be is that you actually brought in a, a project that you want to do. Depending on like what they thought about the project, they will green light it. So therefore you got paid before you even shot. Really, really, it really was like this, like not so long ago. But now that like magazines don't really have that much money, it's very, 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 very rare. So you have to go and actually do the actual assignment, bring it back, and show it to them and see if they want to buy it or not. Same goes for covering an event as well. Usually they will have a staff photographer or they will, you know, have already had a thing with an agency. And it's a lot cheaper to buy agency photos than to hire you as a photographer to shoot something. They already may have a photographer, but yes, it is worth approaching them because it really shouldn't cost you all that much, even if you're printing a paper portfolio or sending them a book or something like that. It's not that much, Should not enough to discourage you. I wouldn't think that guy could have conflicts where he couldn't be at certain games or he might not be good enough. There's plenty of reasons why it's worth still getting your work in front of people. How do they make a decision that's completely varies they some people prize having the best pictures some people prize having somebody who is easier to deal with some people prize cost um, you'll you never know you just want to get your pictures in front of them i would say you don't want to just send them any random portfolio i think that right now you can have a page on your website that doesn't have to be your portfolio and you could tailor that to whatever it is you're trying to get so there's a case to be made for showing that you're versatile and you can cover a lot of different sports, but the more specialized thing you're trying to do, the less they're going to care about anything else that you shot. Like they're going to want to know, can you do this? Like if you're trying to get a portrait gig, they're not going to really care all that much. Like it helps if you have great sports action pictures, but it's not, it's not going to swing the deal. Don't just send out the same thing to everybody. Send out something that's relevant to them. If you want to include a couple of things that might not be, that's fine, but have the bulk of it be relevant to what they're doing. It's um, like your, you know, your CV. You would count like or your cover letter. You can't write the same cover letter as every single potential employee. You know, you're gonna have to like customize it to what they want or looking for. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, again, even if they have a photographer now, even if he can go to all the games, there's times when maybe they want to have two, maybe it's a bigger game and they need every play. Maybe, you know, they're looking to, you know, add to the bulk number of pictures they have. And then maybe, you know, at the end of the season or something, that guy retires dies, and they're looking you know. for somebody else and you, yeah, you want them to know about you. So, you know, getting your stuff out there in front of people is really never bad. You know, provided you do it right. The last question of the evening is Simon A. West says uh, or asks, 
What are the best and worst ways you have found to promote your sports photography businesses? Mainly social media or direct personal relationship, agencies, industrial espionage, email marketing, advertising, etc. I've got my own views on this, but wanted to hear yours, please. How come he didn't share his? Well, I guess. Maybe he knows better than we do. He's not really, he doesn't want to share. I don't really care. <laughs> For me, the best way to, best way I did was I started doing it on Flickr. I just said, I don't really care if people use my picture or not, as long as like, you know, people use it, put my name next to it, and that was fine. Also, to keep it really quite simple for me, I absolutely believe in the way I see things is the right way. I'm a human being, so I kind of waver back and forth about these things. I change styles and things like that as well, but the way I see things I believe is the best way for me to differentiate myself from everyone else and that's the most important thing and I have had people say bad things about me because they thought I was crap you know I kind of yeah I felt that way as well when I wasn't really getting that much work as well like it just didn't really I didn't feel really good about it because I thought like the maybe the way I was doing is was the you know quote-unquote the, the wrong way but the more I've actually done this, I realized that I've, you know, I've been getting, you know, clients to to ask me to do their project and things like that. And things have actually worked out quite well for me. And I'm not going to change it now. Um, and I also want to make sure that I keep reinventing myself. You know, I don't want to keep them like get stuck in this thing that I think I'm the best in the world and not really doing anything to make it better. Because I think I've, it's it's very important that in this, in a world that is competitive as sports photography you need to make sure that you are the best version of yourself apparently that's what mike shashevsky said recently but that really is true like you want to be the best version of yourself every single time you're out there and you want to make sure that you are creating really good images all the time and that you don't really sit on your laurel and say i'm the i'm the, I'm the best and i'm the greatest i don't do your muhammad ali unless you can read back up every single time and that's basically the the best way to kind of approach it. Let it be for social media, um, for direct personal relationships. Like you should really talk to a lot of people. You just always network, get their business card. Just like send them an email because you don't know what's going to happen. For instance, the what I happened to the edited baseball stuff is I met this guy at a climbing bouldering championship, and he was uh, with a couple of other climbers who were sponsored by Adidas. And I just approached him and said, like, what's going on? Well, it was the last day. And I spoke to him for like a minute and we just exchanged business card as we do with Japanese people. I got back and I basically emailed him and then he said, like, yeah, my colleague who's interested in your pictures, he wants to discuss with you. And then, yeah, they flew me over to Japan to do a shoot for them. So you don't really know what happened. So make sure you, you know, exchange email addresses or, you know, what's up or whatever. And just make sure you get in contact. So you, do you have a chance to show them what you can do? Agencies, Matt probably knows a lot more about that. Industrial espionage, I don't know. James Bonding, so I don't really know. Email marketing, I've never done it. Advertising, no. But I did made a book. So I don't know, that was a bit of an advertisement as well. So that's really about it on my side. I've never done advertising or email marketing. I don't know how industrial espionage has to work with it. God, it sucks, but you just have to make great pictures. You just You have to make great pictures every time. And then after that, you want to get them in front of as many people as you can. That definitely includes social media, but it also includes your own personal website. And you want to have some people that you, you know, if you get something really good, you can send to them just to remind them that you're really good. I have friends who shoot 
weddings of friends who shoot corporate headshots and food and stuff like that. And they're all up in this, uh, you know, buying email lists and sending out postcards and to as many people as they possibly can. And that's fine. I really don't have any problem with them doing that. But I do very, very little marketing outside of social media. People see my pictures on social media. That's basically how I got all of the business that I have now. So I'm I'm partial to that. There have been rare, you know, like I can count on both hands the number of times I've done any kind of direct marketing. I've made a couple targeted books that, you know, basically show either all of one client's guys that they sponsor into, you know, just like a custom book that, you know, takes a couple hours to make and then you just send it off and they know that you, first of all, can do it and that you have plenty of pictures of their guys. Or if it's like a gear manufacturer, you can pull all the pictures together you have of that kind of gear in action. Um, if it's, you know, like an event, you can show all the pictures that you have of that event. Like that, that definitely helps. And that's way more targeted. It costs more money per, but what is sending out a thousand postcards do? It's just something that gets stuck on somebody's desk or in their inbox or something like that. Whereas... If you have a book with a great cover on it, I think that you'll at least get somebody to open that up and that's half the battle. So I would say social media and then, you know, really, really targeted personal kind of stuff or, you know, on the on the other side of that, really targeted stuff to something that's really relevant to you. I just I don't think that the shotgun approach is really the best no. for this. That um, does it for this month's listeners. Think we only say bad things about sports photography you say we got no soul hell no we're gonna prove you wrong with time to hold your fellow sports photographers hands as we tell you why a specific sports photograph makes us quiver with joy so thank you everybody who basically are helping us trying to find things to talk about in, in cross counter because it is really quite difficult we kind of ran out of ideas so we've had people write in specific photographers sports photographers out there that people should really have a look and we can kind of discuss about uh images it'll be a very short one this one because i think it's it's quite it, you should just go and see him his name is vladimir reese and he's from he is he lives in prague he is from prague but his main work really is in Formula One because there are some lots, whatever, number of photographers on uh, BFS who does uh, a lot of motorsports. And most of them basically suck. And it was just terrible. Like, I, I think there's just, you know, they need to really kind of find a better example of their own area of work. And I think Vladimir Reese probably is a very, very good starting point. And you should definitely, definitely have a look. Um, we'll have the um, the website up. I, I think if you really are doing anything related to motorsports, you should definitely have a look. He has his own vision of like how things you know should be. And yes, if you look through the entire like portfolio of all the races, then there are a lot of shots that are quite similar. But there are also variations of that kind of similar shots as well. There are a lot of close-ups, a lot of um, panning. 
but um, he uses quite a lot of like the colors are very very good and also he does like monotone very very well as well and he also understands details which a lot of you really really don't when it comes to these things so that's kind of what I think about Vladimir Reese yeah. um, have a look I think if you look at this and look at how many of the pictures in here are not of cars uh, you know I think that's a good place to start like there's more to auto racing than the cars I would also say that this is really a good example of somebody who needs an editor really badly. <laughs> you know, again, you're asking for people's attention when you're looking at this. I don't need four silhouettes against a Ferris wheel ever. Like, mm -hmm. I don't even know if one of these was necessary at all. Certainly not four of them. So, uh, and, you know, there's another one of this, this S-curve. There's like four identical pictures just with different cars of it. You know, I get it. Like, you want to show the different drivers or whatever for search engine stuff or whatever that's that's all fine but you need to find a different way to present the work than you know just having four of the same pictures of of different guys especially because he has one in that same curve that's wider that has two cars in it and it's way more abstract than the just the car and the curve yeah the, this is great work though it's just it's a loose it's a very loose edit and it should be uh, probably one third the number of pictures in this as there are. So there's good lessons all the way around. Like certainly the detail stuff, certainly the things away from the track are good. I'll definitely echo the the use of color and the use of black and white. Like this guy has a really good feel for both of those. These are what black and white pictures should look like, not just desaturated color pictures. Like he put some time into making sure that he gets the tones right. That's really important. But then, you know, the other thing is that just nobody wants to look at four versions of the same picture. And if you look through here, there are four versions of the Ferris wheel silhouette. There's four versions of the trophy presentation, four versions of the same one, and then two other ones, the, the panning through the trees also. So I would definitely say try to avoid the, the indulgent edit. That's not what you want to do, but if you are shooting motorsports and you're looking for a more creative kind of way to look at that, this is definitely a good place to start. And with that, we end the 61st episode of Big Lens Fast Shutter, the first of 2017. Can't do this without you, my beautiful listeners, and obviously Rob with Two Bs, our wonderful producer, Extraordinaire. Even if you're not as evil as Matt Corn, please go to our Facebook page and like us and just look for Big Lens Flash Shutter. Better yet, do that and subscribe to our blog at BigLensFlashShutter.com so that you won't miss any of our latest greatest hits. And if you love us even more, please rate this podcast on iTunes. And last but not least, if you have that dollar in your pocket, please go to Patreon.com slash BLFS. That is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BLFS. To recap, Facebook, blog, iTunes, and Patreon. Rinse, repeat, love us more. See you next month. Three, two, one. No, I can't say that, but it wasn't very... Uh, okay. Big lens faster. I'll do it again. Three, two, one. Okay, sorry. Okay, okay, sorry. Three, two, one. Three, two, one. No, I can't say that. So, you know, that's, you can get, there's, or, you know, the... Three, sixty-one. Da, da, da. The fucking sharks. It's welcome to the new world of fucking Macintosh. Yeah, I'm, I'm a mess right now. I'm just absolutely a mess. <laughs> All right. Um, now
not the the the, the off these these uh, sports photographers. So, you know, it's a good. Um, and then you know, I can't, but I can't find where it's recording too. So I got to find that later. Anyway, no, 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 it's definitely recording. I can see it. I can see it recording. I just do not, do not, do not buy a 2016 MacBook Pro.